Hey, good morning, you guys. I'm excited to be here with you today. Um, I don't know about y'all, but summer is summer is wild. Summer is busy. Summer is back and forth and here and there. But and it's also hot, right? Yeah, it's also hot. But we love it. It's um it's been really fun just to have a different pace. You know what I'm saying? So um, I hope you guys are enjoying your summer too. So we've been studying Acts um, together as a church, and up to chapter 10, we've seen lots of different people, Um, but at the end of chapter 9, we see Peter, right? We see Peter um, going and visiting people who have been scattered from the church in Jerusalem, and um, we see him interacting in a few really cool ways that um, Brian talked about on the pod. I think it was you, right? Talked about on the podcast. Was it Kevin? Might have been Kevin. Hey, check out the podcast, quick plug, right? Um, So, yeah, really cool ways that Peter interacts with some of the believers who have been scattered. And then he ends up in the city um, by the sea called Joppa. So he's there. So if you want to open your Bibles to chapter 10, we're going to start by reading. So this is a great story, and we couldn't help but just read it all. Chapter 10. In Caesarea there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius, who was a captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. One afternoon, about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming toward him. Cornelius, the angel said. Don't you love when the angels say their name? Sorry, just had to stop there. Cornelius uh, stared at him in terror. What is it, sir? He asked the angel. And the angel replied, your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying with Simon, a tanner, who lives near the seashore. As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier, one of his personal attendants. He told them what had happened and sent them off to Joppa. So they're on their way, right? They're already, they're already traveling. The next, uh, verse 9, the next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up to the flat roof to pray. It was about noon, and he was hungry. But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the sky open, and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. Then a voice said to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord, Peter declared. I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. But the voice spoke again. Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times. Then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. So the first thing that um, really stands out to me that um, David Pawson pointed out, actually, was that this is Peter, right? This is Peter who the Lord said, I need to wash your feet. And he was like, no, Lord, no, you can't wash my feet. He was like, but then you can't have a part of me. And he said, well, then fine, wash all of me, wash all of me, right? Peter is pretty good about listening and then responding in a big way. So that's really cool. And then, of course, Peter denies denies knowing Jesus three times. And then Jesus asks him, do you love me three times? So then he sees this vision three times, which I just think is cool. I think it's cool sometimes to notice the way that those things are similar. Um, So this this is the same Peter. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's powerful. He doesn't seem like the same guy that we see in the Gospels, but it is. It is the same guy. Um, So Oops, phone's upside down. So the voice spoke in the vision, said, Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. 
right? The vision's repeated three times, and then the sheet suddenly was pulled up to heaven. So the application for this, do not call something unclean if God has made it clean, is for food and it's for people. And we know that because they talk, they talk more about it in Romans. Um, they talk about it right here, but they talk more about it in Romans. Romans 14.4 says, I know and am convinced on the authority of Jesus, uh, the Lord Jesus, that no food in and of itself is wrong to eat. So we know that, we know that they're, they're changing the way that they look at food. Um, we also know it's about people because Romans 2, 10, and 11 say, but there will be glory and honor and peace from God for all who do good, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile, for God does not show favoritism. Okay, so we know that it's, it's more than just food. It's more than just animals and what's clean and unclean on the sheet, but, you know, it expands from there. So it makes me ask the question to myself, what do I call unclean that God has made clean? Because there's a lot of things that he makes clean that I want to judge and call unclean. Um, so I think it's a good moment to pause. I think most recently he's been showing me, uh, do I look at the body of Christ and call parts unclean? Do I look at groups that I'm not a part of and call them unclean? Um, political parties, denominations ethnicities, races, nationalities, male, female, rich, poor, young, old, sick, or healthy, educated, not educated? Do I look at other people and think that I'm better than them? You know, I think that um, it's a really humbling moment to look at people, image bearers of the Lord that he cares for, um, and to evaluate ourselves against them. And to, you know, I think we're taught you know, to analyze and compare and contrast and draw conclusions, and that's just how we're, how we're brought up in school. But treating people that way isn't how we treat people. It shouldn't be how we, how we treat people. So God says, do not call something unclean if I've made it clean. All right, let's keep reading. Acts chapter 10, verse 17. Peter was very perplexed. What could the vision mean? Just then, right, so the men are already there all the men sent from Cornelius' house. Just then, the men sent by Cornelius found Simon's house. Standing outside the gate, they asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, three men have come looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them without hesitation. Don't worry, I have sent them. You know what's funny is I just realized he never ate, right? He was hungry. He's like, don't, don't hesitate, get going, right? Um, so Peter went down and said, I'm the man you're looking for. Why have you come? And they said, we were sent by Cornelius, a Roman officer. He is a devout and God-fearing man, well-respected by all the Jews. A holy angel instructed him to summon you to his house so that he can hear your message. So Peter invited the men to stay for the night. The next day he went with them, accompanied by some of the brothers from Joppa. So there, hopefully he got something to eat then, right? They arrived in Caesarea the following day. Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. Got to pause there too. What faith is that, that he sends these guys because an angel told him to, to find this guy that he's never met, you know, and then he invites everybody he knows <laughs> to come to his house and wait. Um, I think that's awesome. I'm impressed by that. I'm impressed. I think I would be like, you can just come and talk to me. That's cool. 
right? So he invites all of his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered his home, Cornelius fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter pulled him up and said, stand up. I'm a human being just like you. So they talked together and went inside where many others were assembled. Peter told them, you know it is against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to associate with you. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. So I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. Now tell me why you sent for me. Because right? he still doesn't even know why he's there. I love it. Cornelius replied, four days ago I was praying in my house about this same time, three o'clock in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in dazzling clothes was standing in front of me. He told me, Cornelius, your, prayers, your prayer has been heard. And your gifts to the poor have been noticed by God. Now send messengers to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying in the house of Simon, a tanner, who lives near the seashore. So I sent for you at once, and it was good of you to come. Now we're all here waiting before God to hear the message the Lord has given to you. He's like, all right, sweet. I get to tell him the message. Verse 34, then Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. Right? So that's where our title comes from today. In every nation, every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. This is the message of good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. All right, we're going to pause there. So God accepts those who fear him and do what is right. Yeah. But this isn't salvation. He still needs Peter to come and, and tell him the message, and he, he accepts it. You know, it's, it's fantastic. We'll read that next part. But that's where we can start. It's a perfect place to start. If you don't know where to start with God, you know, and you're thinking to yourself, what do I even do? Um, to fear him, to respect him, and to do what's right, and he'll meet you, you know. You just keep being faithful. Um, so we can, we can take that for sure. And then the next line is amazing. Uh, there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. So we get peace with God, peace with God, which is basically, I mean, he says that this is the good news. This is the good news for the people of Israel and all of us, because he's Lord of all nations. He's Lord of all. So every, in every nation, we, can, we are offered peace with God. I think sometimes we forget what the gospel message really means, what gospel is, or what the good news is. Um, and that we live before we know Jesus without peace with God. And then after we get to meet him, we get that peace. And that's, I mean, that makes everything different. Everything. So that's, that's just incredible comfort, incredible joy to know that. Um, yeah, so then we get grafted in. We accept this, we get grafted in. Romans eleven seventeen tells us, and you Gentiles, which is us, who are branches from a wild olive tree, have been grafted in. You are a branch and not the root. So there's only one root, right? Who's the root? You can say it louder. <laughs> right, Jesus. Jesus is the root. God is the root. There's only one. There's not one root over here and one root over here, and we don't really like them, and they're over there, right? We don't want to be in their plant. We'll be in this plant because we like it better, right? There's only one. <laughs> There's only one root. So if you didn't hear Pastor Brian's message um, called part of it, which means part of the body, um, go back and listen because the foot that gets cut off because it doesn't really want to be a part of the body can't run anymore. 
you know, and it, it basically dies, you know. I mean, there's nothing that you can do cut off from the body. We can't separate from the root. We have to stay grafted in. Um, that's, where our, that's where our life comes from. That's where we get the peace with God, um, from being in the root and being secure. And nothing can harm us when we're in the root and we're secure. So it, that's, it's just, it's, yeah, my brain's exploding. Um, I love it. Can't exist outside the body. Okay. What does the body of Christ really look like? What does it really look like? It doesn't look like us, by the way. Um, we're just one small piece, right? Outside of our country, our continent, across the whole world. Does it look like me? No. No, it doesn't. Not really. Um, I was listening to my Spotify playlist, and this new song I'd never heard came on this week. Don't you love how the Lord does that? And this line rang out, and I had to go back and play it again. It said, do I want you to look like me? Of course, they're talking to Jesus. Do I want you to look like me, or do I want to look like you? Right? Um, so I think that that's so powerful. It's a, the song is called I, Will, I Want to Serve God by Stan, Sam McCabe. Right? So I'm, I'm grafted in. I'm grafted into this, this body that looks really different, but we all are transformed into the image of Christ, and that is what unites us and makes us similar, right? Makes us... Um, <laughs> gives us peace with God. So we read a book last month. I think it was last month. It was Rebecca McLaughlin's book, Confronting Christianity. Was it last month? Two months ago? Sweet. Um, it was great, you guys. If you didn't get to read that one, um, I'll just give you a little snippet. There, she has a chapter, uh, chapter two, it's called Doesn't Christianity Crush Diversity? Right? Isn't, the, isn't you know, Christianity just this white Western kind of a thing? And the answer is no. <laughs> it's not. If you look statistically, and this is cool. This is really cool. So I had to, I had to share just a little bit with you guys because it gets me excited. By 2050, sub-Saharan Africa could be home to 40% of the world's self-identifying Christians. 40%? That's a lot, right? That's a lot. In sub-Saharan Africa, that's where they're going to be. Um, that's so cool. The Iranian church is the fastest-growing church in the world. Experts predict that there will be more Christians in China than in the United States by 2030, which is nine years from now, in nine years, and that they think that China could be a majority Christian country by 2050. Isn't that amazing? It could change the entire, you know, world politics and everything. I mean, it, you know, the Lord, we'll see what the Lord does. He'll do what he wants, and we can trust that. Um, so what does the, what's the majority demographic of Christians around the world? It's women of color. Is that not awesome? All right, only the girls. All right, the girls. <laughs> women of color. Um, one other quick thing. We sometimes think that immigrants are eroding our country. People will say stuff like that. Immigrants are actually statistically more Christian than resident Americans, if you want to call it that. Immigrants are actually bringing lifeblood of Christianity back into our country. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? Okay, so the body of Christ, it's beautiful, right? There is so much beauty in the body of Christ. And, uh, yeah, we don't want to miss it because that would be a shame. That would be a shame. So Christianity is multicultural, multiethnic, multiracial, just in case you didn't know. All right. Moving back into the Bible, into our story here. So we're at, we're at 
Acts verse 37, chapter 10, verse 37. I love this part. Oh, Peter. Okay, so he's going to tell the message now. He says, you know what happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after John began preaching his message of baptism. You know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Okay, we could stop there. That's amazing. And we apostles are witnesses of all he did throughout Judea and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him to life on the third day. Then God allowed him to reappear, not to the general public, but to us whom God had chosen in advance to be his witnesses. We were those who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. We have to think about that for a second, right? Peter, he yeah. ate and drank with Jesus after he rose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach everywhere and to testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be the judge of all, the living and the dead. He is the one all the prophets testified about, saying that everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. Even as Peter's saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of uh, the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, can anyone object to their being baptized now that they have received the Holy Spirit just as we did? So he gave orders for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Afterward, Cornelius asked him to stay with them for several days. So first of all, his message is amazing because what a testimony, right? What he's seen of Jesus is just, is just amazing. I can't wait until we get to eat and drink with Jesus, to be honest. Um, so they get, they get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Okay? He asks the Jewish believers, can anyone object to their baptism? And the answer is clearly no. God had chosen them. We see in uh, Galatians chapter 3, verse 27 and 28, all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Okay, so they get baptized. Um, after they've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, they get baptized. So, you know, order, not necessarily have to be this way. It's fine. It's good. Okay, so who can object to their baptism? Who do I object to God choosing? Okay. I think it's kind of similar to the other question, but a little different. I think sometimes um, we would like to think that God chooses like we choose, like interviewing for a job. We're going to take the most, the best candidate. You know, you gotta, you gotta measure up. But that's that's not how God does His interview process. <laughs> thankfully, right? Um, Pastor Brian's sermon about Paul or Saul becoming Paul and his conversion, about him being the bad guy. I love that because we would, none of us would have picked the bad guy to do any of that. We would have been like, no, get rid of him. I love it. And Justin, this is for you. It's a trap. Star Wars reference. It's a trap. God chooses people I wouldn't choose, but I trust God. Okay, so if we look around and we are like, but what about that guy? What about that group? What about, you know, right? We have all these ideas of uh, what we think is the best thing. I'm going to jump ahead a little bit later we hear Paul responding, you know, this story is about Peter, but we hear Paul responding to reports of preaching, right? While he's in jail, he hears that people are preaching about, about Jesus and his uh, 
person who's writing the letter to him say, are saying, I don't know if their motives are pure. I think they're preaching out of jealousy. I think they're rivals. They want to be like you. They want to take your spot. What does Paul say? He says, but that doesn't matter whether their motives are false or genuine. The message about Christ is being preached either way, so I rejoice. And I will continue to rejoice. Okay? And what about, what about Jesus? This happens to Jesus too. His disciples say, hey, other people are using your name. Other people. You know, are they doing it right? No, I don't know. Ask him. So they, John says to Jesus, teacher, we saw someone using your name to cast out demons, but we told him to stop because he wasn't in our group. And Jesus says, don't stop him. No one who performs a miracle in my name will soon be able to speak evil of me. Which that, I just think, is amazing. Right? You can't go around using Jesus' name and not, not be impacted by that one way or the other. Um, anyone who is not against us is for us. Okay? Is for us. Um, it makes me think of the Old Testament story uh, when Joshua is near Jericho and he sees the angel. And he's like, whose side are you on? Right? Whose side are you on? He's like, no. <laughs> no, I'm not on anybody's side. We want to be on God's side. Right? We want to be on Jesus' side. We don't need to pick a side. We want, to be, um, we want to be more like him. We want to look more like him. So, um, do I look at the body of Christ and focus on all the things that look wrong to me? Right? I think that we need to repent of that judgmental spirit. I have been repenting of that judgmental spirit that the Lord has been showing me that I've carried for a long time. How have I done that for so long and not realized that I'm judging the body. <laughs> it makes me think of Matthew 7 when we talk about the, the log in our own eye, you know, the speck in someone else's and the log in my own. Um, the message version actually talks about having an ugly sneer on your face while you're trying to wipe a smudge off of someone else's face. The inside versus the outside, right? We can't function with that yucky on the inside, right? Which is the whole point of the food, right? We don't eat things that defile us. It's what comes out of us that defiles us. So, right? I remember when the, the Pharisees were like, Jesus, you didn't wash your hands. Right? Why didn't you wash your hands? He's like, you guys are missing the point, which I think is so cool. Okay. So, um, last point about the Lord's body, Romans 14, 4. And they're talking about food, just for, you know, clean or unclean. And they, he said, who are you to condemn someone else's servants? These are the Lord's servants, right? The body of Christ. Who are you to condemn someone else's servants? They are responsible to the Lord, so let him judge whether they are right or wrong. And with the Lord's help, they will do what is right and will receive his approval. Okay, so we can lay all these things at the Lord's feet. All of the places where we're feeling like, Jesus, aren't you, what are you doing over there, right? It could be a Saul to Paul thing he's doing. We don't know what he's doing. His ways are so much higher than our ways, and his plans are so good, and we can trust him, and he loves us, right? And he will, he will be with us in whatever's happening to us, but if it's not happening to us, we might be able to take a chill pill, right, um, on it, and that's just a word to me. That's my word for myself. Okay, um, so Acts chapter 11, I'm going to not read it all out. I think I'm, I think I'm actually talking long time? No? Forgot to look at what time I started. Anyway, so in chapter 11, Peter explains his actions to the, the believers, um, in the Jewish believers. They're like, what were you doing? You were in this Gentile's house. What's happening with you? Right? You were eating with them. And so he's saying, look, God chose him. 
And so the, uh, the author of the book Impossible Love, Craig Keener, um, he actually makes the point that Peter protects himself by taking all these witnesses with him, right? He's listened to the word of the Lord. He obeys. He doesn't even know why he's going. He goes. He takes some witnesses with him, and then they can testify to what happened. They're like, no, 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 we all saw it, right? He doesn't just go by himself. And that's important, too. We need one another. Um, we need each other. You know, we need to support one another and encourage one another and help testify to what we see happen, uh, seeing the Lord doing. So that's also just a great, great word. Um, what do we do, right? What do we do? We give, give it to the Lord. If we're carrying a judgmental spirit, if we're being prejudiced like the Lord is not, right, we give that to the Lord. And how? How do we, how do we move forward? Um, if you haven't listened to Stephanie and um, Jeff's podcast, The Better Surrender, the episode To Think Like Jesus, they talk about Philippians 2, verse 3, which says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. So what do we do? We serve one another in love. We serve one another. We don't think ourselves better than other people. We don't. We stop it. We repent. We turn and we serve one another. Right? We look for ways that we can... Um, humble ourselves, especially when we're being prideful or prejudiced um, towards other people. So I thought that was amazing, um, just the way the Lord knits things together uh, because we go, what do we do now, you know? What do I do now? I have a story for you guys to read to finish out today. Um, I don't know who's read The Voyage of the Dawn Treader by C.S. Lewis, um, but it's a great, yeah, my kids are raising your hand, I love it. Um, <laughs> Um, it's a great one, and I think it fits in so neatly with, with what we were talking about today. So the characters that we're seeing here are um, Edmund and Eustace. And if you remember, Edmund was the one in, uh, who turns traitor in the first book, but is redeemed by Aslan. And then Eustace is his cousin, and um, is not a very nice boy in the beginning, right? Not a super, not a super great kid. And then he um, picks up some gold in a dragon's cave and turns into a dragon. Oof, right? Oof, major oof. Um, so, he, this, is a, this is where I'll just pick it up here. Um, I won't tell you how I became a dragon till I can tell the others uh, and get it all over with, said Eustace. By the way, I don't even, I didn't even know it was a dragon, I heard. Wait, I am in the right spot, right? Yes. Sorry about that. I didn't know it was a dragon till I heard you all using the word when I turned up here the other morning. I want to tell you how I stopped being one. Fire ahead, said Edmund. Well, last night I was more miserable than ever, and that beastly arm ring was hurting like anything. Is that all right now? Eustace laughed, a different laugh from any Edmund had ever heard him give before, and slipped the bracelet easily off his arm. There it is, he said, and anyone who likes can have it as far as I'm concerned. Well, as I say, I was lying awake and wondering what on earth would become of me. And then, but mind you, it may have all been a dream. I don't know. Go on, said Edmund with considerable patience. Well, anyway, I looked up and saw the very last thing I expected, a huge lion coming to slowly toward me. And one queer thing was that there was no moon last night, but there was moonlight where the lion was. So it came nearer and nearer. I was terribly afraid of it. You may think that being a dragon, I could have knocked any lion out easily enough. But it wasn't that kind of fear. I wasn't afraid of it eating me. I was just afraid of it, if you, can't, if you can understand. 
well, it came close up to me and looked straight into my eyes, and I shut my eyes tight. But it wasn't any good because it told me to follow it. You mean it spoke? I don't know. Now that you mention it, I don't think it did. But it told me all the same. And I knew I'd have to do what it told me, so I got up and I followed it. It led me a long way into the mountains, and there, there was always this moonlight over and around the lion wherever he went. So at last, we came to the top of the mountain I'd never seen before. And on the top of this mountain, there was a garden, trees and fruit and everything. In the middle of it, there was a well. I knew it was a well because you could see the water bubbling up from the bottom of it, but it was a lot bigger than most wells, like a very big round bath with marble steps going down into it. Their water was as clear as anything, and I thought if I could get in there and bathe, it would ease the pain of my leg. But the lion told me I must undress first. Mind you, I don't know if he said any words out loud or not. I was just going to say that I couldn't undress because I didn't have any clothes on when I suddenly thought that dragons are snaky sorts of things and snakes can cast their skins. Oh, of course I thought. That's what the lion means. So I started scratching myself and my scales began coming off all over the place. And then I scratched a little deeper and instead of just scales coming off here and there, my whole skin started peeling off beautifully like it does after an illness or as if I were a banana. In a minute or two, I stepped out of it. I could see it lying there beside me, looking rather nasty. It was a most lovely feeling, so I started to go down to the well for my bath. But just as I was going to put my feet in the water, I looked down and saw that they were all hard and rough and wrinkled and scaly, just as they, as they had been before. Oh, that's all right, said I. It only means I had another, smaller skin, uh, suit on underneath the first one, so I'll have to get out of it too. So I scratched and tore again. This underskin peeled off beautifully. I stepped out, left it lying beside the other one, and went down to the well for my bath. Well, exactly the same thing happened again. And I thought to myself, oh, dear, however many skins have I got to take off? For I was longing to bathe my leg. So I scratched away for the third time and got off a third skin, just like the other two stepped out of it. But as soon as I looked at myself in the water, I knew it had been no good. Then the lion said, I don't know if it spoke. You will have to let me undress you. I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate now, so I just lay flat down on my back and let him do it. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart, and when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. You know, if you've ever picked the scab off a sore place, it hurts like a bilio, but it's such fun to see it come away. I know exactly what you mean, said Edmund. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off, just as I thought I'd done myself the other three times, only they hadn't hurt. And there it was, lying on the grass, only ever so much thicker and darker and more knobby-looking than the others had been. And there I was, smooth and soft as a peeled switch, and smaller than I had been. Then he caught hold of me. I didn't like that much, for I was very tender underneath now that I had no skin on, and he threw me in the water. It smarted like anything, but only for a moment. After that, it became perfectly delicious. And as soon as I started swimming and splashing, I found that all the pain had gone from my arm. And then I saw why. I turned into a boy again. You'd think me simply phony if I told you how I felt about my own arms. I know they're no muscle and they're pretty moldy compared with Caspian's, but I was so glad to see them. After a bit, the lion took me out and dressed me you with his paws? Well, I don't exactly remember that bit, but he did something, how or other, in new clothes, the same I've got on now, 
as a matter of fact. And then suddenly I was back here, which is what makes me think it must have been a dream. No, it wasn't a dream, said Edmund. Why not? Well, there are the clothes for one thing, and you have been, well, undragoned for another. What do you think it was then? asked Eustace. I think you've seen Aslan, said Edmund. Aslan, said Eustace. I've heard that name mentioned several times since we joined the Dawn Treader, and I felt, I don't know, I hated it. But I was hating everything then. And by the way, I'd like to apologize. I'm afraid I've been pretty beastly. I'll stop there. Um, I just want to pray. Jesus, thank you for the moments you give us to repent. Thank you for the way you help us become more like you. Make us more like you. Help us to serve others, to consider ourselves in humility. Lord, thank you that you don't have, you don't show favoritism. You're not prejudiced like we are. Teach us to be like you. Give us the new clothes. Wash us. they're like stabbing into your heart of you know who do you judge <laughs> and what she's saying she's speaking the word this is the word of the lord to you and to me so we're not going to rush from this moment because of that because we need to deal with this and that story if i remember correctly when the kid is greedy for all the gold and everything he shoves this golden armband on his arm and when he turns into a dragon it's like crushing his arm the whole time and so one of the big parts of him getting free from his dragonness is also freedom from the pain that he really inflicted on himself and that freedom comes through Jesus which Aslan is representing and I think the Lord wants to as that book just said undragon many of you today and so I'm going to ask the band to play a song but play it don't get loud all right and like in that book when you said somehow he said to me I need to follow him you need to come forward and you need to spend time with the Lord at the altar and this is not a judge this is a judgment free zone I am going to pray um, and so do not remain in your if God spoke to you in one of those questions that's God talking to you now so you should act accordingly and if there's something that you've become a dragon about, you need to come down and deal with it so the, so the Lord can undress you in this way so that you can leave uh, free from the pain of that. But you got to take it seriously. This is the Lord speaking to your heart. You have to answer it. So if you're at home the same way, do something besides just sit on your couch. You need to kneel. Um, kneel maybe in front of your your coffee table or something like that but we need to come forward and you can even come forward now as this time and we'll have people that will be available to pray for you if you need prayer but father i we thank you that you've spoken to our hearts in the ways that we have judged your body in ways we've judged other people the way we've criticized the way we've been condemning father i ask that you would set us free and undragon our hearts undragon our spirits 
us be free to be ourselves, the ones that you have created us to be, not the dragons that we've made ourselves into, Father. And I ask for this to be a moment of freedom, that you would give boldness and courage to those that need to be freed from this, Lord, that they would move forward in Jesus' name. Let this be a place of freedom for those who move into the water in Jesus' name. So you may come forward and pray this time.